0: Hey, how are you going? how's it going? Sounds like you're doing good. Very good. We are continuing this morning our series called Personal Parables. These are all parables that are personal to me. They've been helpful to me in my faith. Oh, sorry, Victor. Helpful to me and my faith, challenge me, continue to challenge me, and I hope that they will challenge you as well and be helpful to you. Um, we're going to start this morning on a personal note. I really love baseball. Is my favorite sport. Basketball is like right there. It's pretty close, but uh, as as I've gone on, I think I think baseball is my favorite. One of the things I really love about baseball are the stats. Baseball has all these very interesting and intricate stats that they use to figure out how successful the various players are. For example, pretty basic one, BA, your batting average. So it's how many times as a hitter you get safely on base. You know, a successful hitter will have a better batting average. There's the home run. We all know what a home run is, right? When you hit the ball over the fence. Um, If you get a little deeper into it, there's some more advanced ones. There's like the ERA. This is one that talks about how successful a pitcher is. It's a a measurement of uh, how often the pitcher gives up runs. But then if you go really, really deep, and this is what I really like about baseball, there's some very, very complicated metrics that they use. Has anyone ever heard of LIPS? L-I-P-S. That is a real baseball metric. If you go on MLB.com, you can look it up. What it stands for is late inning pressure situation. And it's this metric that tries to say how clutch a hitter is based on how they do in the seventh inning or later, if they're up or down by a certain amount of runs. So I love that. I love that about baseball. And, And it gets me thinking, you know, what would it be like if we had Christian stats? What would that be like, right? Instead of BA, you would have CA, your church attendance. That'd be perfect. Set of home runs, gospel shared, the GS, and of course the GSOA, the Grand Slam, the gospel shared while you're on in the airplane. You know, we can have so many AQTL, average quiet time length, and of course we'd have to have lips, your length of intercession, prayer, and supplication. Now you may be thinking, Eric, this sounds like an odd idea. You're right. This is a terrible idea. It's an awful idea to have Christian stats because Christianity, our walks of Jesus, it is not a competition, Right? It's not about comparing our numbers to see who's better, but I do think, I do think that a lot of us, when we think about what does it mean to be successful as a Christian, numbers tend to jump into our minds, and I think that's just because it it makes sense to us because a lot of our life is measured by numbers, right? In baseball, the person who hits the most home runs is the most successful power hitter, right? The person with the most money we think is the most successful professionally, so I think as we're going about our Christian walks, it's really easy for us to focus on our, on our stats, right, on the results. As we saw last week, Jesus promises 30, 60, 100-fold fruit in the parable of the sower. So how much fruit do I have, and how does it com- compare to all of you, right? Am I, am I doing as much? Am I sharing enough? Am I lifting enough chairs after the service? Are they keeping track of that? I don't know. Um... But I think we all just have this in the back of our minds, right? These numbers, this scoreboard going. Some of it, I think, is probably out of pride, right? It makes you feel good. Like, look what I've done. Look what I've done. Some of it probably out of anxiety. Like, am I doing enough? Is God mad at me? Is, is he happy? And I think some is really just out of a genuine heart to please the Lord. That, that's a good desire that we have to want to serve him. But I think it's just very easy for us to picture the successful Christian by, by some sort of metric, by some number, by some result. I want to tell a story this morning that I think really challenges that way of thinking. Uh, when I was in college, I had this friend named Remington. lot of you probably know Remington. He used to go to church here before moving back to Texas for school. Um, Remington and I went to college together, and we had this other friend named Francisco. At the time, Francisco wasn't a Christian, but Remington was really setting the pace in and sharing the gospel with Francisco and loving Francisco, seeking to serve him, inviting him to different things, really doing a really, really good job at that um, as best he could. And, you know, I was Francisco's friend, too, but, but really the one who was, like I said, really setting the pace in loving Francisco was, was Remington. And so one Friday night, uh we're sitting uh, in our house and we say hey let's let's invite Francisco over. Now Francisco, uh, if you get to know him, he loves music. Uh he loved to play guitar and sing and and I like that too. So I text him, "Hey Francisco, why don't you come over? We can we can play guitar together and sing and and hang out for a little bit." So Francisco comes over, we're playing, we're talking, we're having fun. But it's getting kind of late, so Remington uh goes to sleep. But Francisco wants to say, and, and I, I usually stayed up a little later, so we stay and we keep playing guitar and talking. Now, not 10 minutes after Remington goes to sleep, I, I asked Francisco what I thought to be a very just innocent, simple question. I say, hey, Francisco, how have you enjoyed being part of Christian Challenge this semester? That was the college ministry that we were a part of. And Francisco, just like a, like a flower, just opens up. He's like, oh, my goodness. I have loved being part of Christian Challenge. I have loved hearing about Jesus from you guys and just getting to share in this and being part of this. And he goes on and on and on and on about how much he has loved being part of the ministry and hearing about Jesus. And at the end, he says, I just cannot wait until I become a Christian too. So I can keep like sharing in this with you guys. It's just one of those moments right, where the, the Holy Spirit is clearly like opportunity, right? <laughs> so I say, well, Francisco, is, is there anything that's keeping you from becoming a Christian right now? And he stops and he thinks, and he's like, no, I don't think so. So, you know, we go over the gospel. He he repents and prays to God, uh, asks Jesus into his life right then and there, while Remington is asleep upstairs. (laughs) You remember in Gethsemane, the disciples fall asleep on Jesus? Remington, (laughs) Could you not stay awake one more hour? So Remington's asleep, uh, but we're all excited. Francis, just became a Christian. And so it's getting late, though. We're like, okay, we got to go to sleep. Come back tomorrow, and we'll keep talking, right? So I text Remington 20 exclamation points, Francisco being a Christian. And I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. Remington's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I missed that, right? Um, He's disappointed, but he's excited. And then uh, Remington, for uh, pretty much every day the rest of that year, met with Francisco in the morning to have a quiet time with him to help him get established in his faith after that. So he just continued what he was doing, really loving and serving Francisco. Now, the question that I have, and I think that this story brings up, is, Between Remington and myself in that story, who was the most successful Christian? Who was more successful? Is it me? Like on my little Christian baseball card, I would get, do I get the conversion? Like who was the most successful? (laughs) See, this is the problem. That's the problem with focusing on our numbers and our results. You see, when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're taking credit for what God has done. I didn't change Francisco's heart. Remington didn't change Francisco's heart. God did that. God gets the glory. God is responsible for that result. He gets the glory and he gets it alone. Paul talks about something similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He says this, speaking about Apollos and himself, who were two uh, disciples at the time. Right? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Only God who gives the growth. You see those results, those stats, right? That 30, 60, fold fruit of the Christian life is not because of you. It's not because of me. We've been given a role to play, but the result, the growth belongs to God. So what then is a successful Christian characterized by, right? That's the question. Well, what does Paul and Apollos here have in common in that situation? What did Remington and I have in common faithfulness, faithfulness, Right? We were all faithful with the role that God gave us to play, and we were focused on what God had for us in the moment. And so that's what our parable today is going to be all about, faithfulness. We're going to be looking at the parable of the talents, found in Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to be focused. It's also found in Luke 19 as well. And the parable of the talents challenges us all to steward faithfully all the things that God has entrusted us in this life, and then trust him with the result of that faithfulness. So we're going to take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the talents here in this story, they represent different resources that God has given you. It's not limited to just money. You know, in the story, the talent is money. But, you know, this could be skills you have, different proficiencies you have. It could be your possessions, like your home, your apartment is a talent, right? It's a resource that God has given you. It could be your position in life. You're maybe a mother, a father, a sister, brother, a manager, an employee, right? We all have these different things, in our lives, And I think something interesting in the passage, I think Jesus uses some very purposeful words here. First, he says it's his property, right? The master entrusts his property. Everything we have in this life is God's. He owns it all. Psalm 24.1, for example, says the earth is the Lord, the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and all who dwell therein. John 3.27 says a, pers- a person cannot receive even a single thing a single thing unless it is given him from heaven. There's nothing that is actually yours. Everything belongs to God. And rightfully so, right? He, he created everything. He has all the power. He's given it to us. I think the second word that, that jumps out at me here is right there in the second line, entrusted. He entrusted to them his property, right? He's not given it to us to do whatever we want with it, right? It's a stewardship. Just as we talked about last week in the parable, the sower, how our access to the word and and scripture is a stewardship, it's the same with the various resources, the talents that God has given to you. He's given us all different resources that he wants to use for his glory. He is the owner. He has the right to do that. And as the last verse there shows in verse 19, one day he will come and settle accounts. We will be held accountable for how we use these resources in our life. Another interesting thing I think that we see here in the beginning is the servants are given resources unequally, right? Some get more, some get less. And I think you could see that clearly in life, right? Some people are just inherently more skillful. You look at them like, wow, you are very gifted in that area. Some are more wealthy than others. Just some have more, some have less. And that's just how God has chosen to do it in his sovereignty, right? It's easy to look at that and think that's not fair. But again, the master owns the resources, and he gets to choose how they're allocated. It's up to him. And so the perspective that Jesus is trying to get us to see here in the beginning of this parable is we each have been given something very purposefully from God and something is required of us based on what we've been given. So we read on and we see what the first servant does with his five servants when the master return or five parable or talents when the master returns. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the first guy comes up, right? And he shows that he has indeed gone and produced for the master using what the master entrusted to him. Fruit was born, right? And and we see the result. The master is pleased. It's great. It's great. Right When we're faithful, when we do what God wants us to do with what has been entrusted to us, God is pleased. And there's also reward, right? Um, the servant is invited to share in the joy of his master. When we're faithful, there, there's joy for us too. And we're even given more responsibility. I will set you over much. So now let's see what the, what the next servant gets when he comes in and turns his two that he makes in 22 and 23. And also... Uh, he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, That's pretty lame. Just two. I don't know, Joe got five. You know, just not as good. You're three short. It doesn't say that, right? He says, faithful. It's the same word. There's not even a footnote that's like, this is from the Greek meaning faithful, but a little less faithful. It's faithful. It's the same exact word. This is actually the same verse. It's the same exact verse as the one before. So if you memorize this, you get plus two on your verse. Memorize that. It's the same verse. And I think I, I definitely look at this. I imagine you look at this too, with our, with our human understanding of success and think, God, you just don't understand. You don't understand. Two is less than five, right? The other guy was better. You know, if I was the guy with two, I think I would be waiting in line just so dejected. Like, oh, man, I lost. I failed, right? I'm just not as successful. I just have two. And the master's just going to be so disappointed when he sees I just have two. That's not what happens. That's not what happens. The master doesn't say two is less than five. He says two is equal to five in this situation. Why? Because both servants did exactly what the master was wanting, right? Both were faithful with what they had. I think that reveals the heart of God, right? God is not comparing us to each other. It's not a competition. Rather, what God is doing is he's looking, have you been faithful with everything that I've given given you to steward? That is what we're held accountable to. That is what God cares about. What you have, not what I have, what you have. I I don't think we believe this, though, right? I think we all have someone, at least one person, probably multiple. I have multiple who we compare ourselves to. Who is it for you? Someone in your C group it could be a family member, a friend, but we all have that person who we look at and think, I could never, I could never be like that. Or the other way around, like, I'm glad I'm not like that. I'm so much better than them, right? We all do that. Some of us too, I think it's more about the role. We're comparing roles. Like you're looking at me like, wow, Eric is really doing something for God, right? He's up there preaching, man, I'm just sitting here. I'm not even doing anything. You know what, I think if you, after service, help put away these chairs, I think God will, will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, just as he'll say that to me for, for preaching today. It's just a different role. It's a different role. We just need to be faithful with God has given us. One plants, one waters, God gives the growth, right? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians. See, I think when we, tend, when we ask ourselves, am I succeeding as a Christian, we tend to look outward and compare and compete with others, But Jesus is teaching us in this parable. No, look at yourself. Are you doing the best with what God entrusted you with? That's what's important. Now, this doesn't mean you don't look at examples. Right? The scripture is very clear that we ought to have examples of more mature Christians in our life, people who can push us and stretch us and encourage us. Like, that's still important. That's not what we're saying here. But what this is saying is when we focus on comparing our personal result, we're missing the point of, of building the kingdom of God. Right, the point's not to be better. It's not even about us at all. Right, the point is being faithful and using our gifts, our talents, our wealth, everything that God has entrusted in with us, uh, just to, to glorify Him, to glorify the One who deserves all the glory. Right, and we trust that God will bring the growth. God is the One who's in charge of the results. He will bring the fruit. It's just like the parable of the sower that we saw last week. We faithfully sow. That's our role. That's what success looks like to God. The only one who isn't successful in God's eyes, in the master's eyes, is the guy who digs the hole, who does nothing. Take a look at 24 to 27. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master asked, answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And on my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So you see, the master has a very strong response, right, to this one who does nothing. He calls him wicked and slothful. Faithfulness matters to God. I think there's a couple of interesting things in this, in this guy's re- response. Like, First, you may be thinking to yourself, well, he just had one. He just had one. He was a little disadvantaged. Right? We, maybe we should give him a break. Do you know how much a talent is worth? 20 years of wages. Millions of dollars today, right? 20 years of wages. He had so much. He had so much. And I think what Jesus is trying to show us here is everyone has something to contribute everyone has something to contribute. Even if we feel like we have a little, we actually have a lot. God has entrusted us with a lot. We may not have a lot of money, but in other things, God has given us a lot. And I think his response, the the servant's response on on why he did this is pretty curious. It's kind of weird, right? He says, I knew you to be a hard man. But if the master is supposed to represent Jesus, which it is, Jesus isn't a hard man, right? That's not what God is like? And you can see how quick the master challenges the response. He has a little sarcasm like, oh, you, you knew like that I reap where I have not sown, right? He's really poking holes in this excuse. And, and the implication is that this man doesn't really know the master at all. He doesn't know what he's like. And we're going to see how important that is as we read on. So let's go now into 28 and uh, to 30 and finish off the parable. So this is the master talking, right? So take the talent from him. And give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, uh, excuse me, for, to everyone who has, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here we see the, the consequences, right, of being unfaithful. The unfaithful person has their stewardship taken away. So you, use it or lose it, right? It's the same principle as the parable of the sower. It's the same thing. That's why the parable of the sower helps us understand all the parables, right? Over time, if we don't respond to the word of God with obedience continually, as we talked about last week, our hearts become colder and colder to the truth of the word. Same is true here. If we don't respond to our, our stewardships, what God has entrusted us with, with faithfulness, we, we lose them. God gave them to us. Surely he can take them away, Right? And verse 30 here, it's, it's pointing to something bigger that's going on. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a phrase that, you, that Jesus uses quite a few times in the book of Matthew. And it always refers to damnation and hell, right? judgment. And th- this seems to confirm the idea that the servant, the, the servant who didn't do anything doesn't really know the master at all. The master, of course, represents Christ and right, for those who don't know him, for those who don't respond to his call to come and repent, the, the gospel, right, to turn away from our sin and turn to Jesus, they, uh, they'll be eternally separated from God, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what this is talking about. Right, the implication is that that last servant, he, he wasn't really a, a disciple. Right? He wasn't a Christ follower. In fact, right after this, Jesus seems to confirm that because he tells another parable about the end. And the judgment that's coming at the end where he separates the sheep who are his true disciples from the goats who are not disciples and, and, and are judged for that. The idea is, you know, your faithfulness shows your attitude towards Christ if you're a true disciple. again, it's the parable of the sower, once again, it's the same idea. Your continued faithfulness over time reveals what landing place you are for the word. So is it that your faithfulness is a marker of your, in your life of your view towards God towards the Lord. Now, no one's perfect on this, right? We all stumble. We all fail. So thank God for his grace. But our faithfulness shows what our attitude is towards Jesus. Our faithfulness matters, right? How we steward the gift of the truth of scripture matters and how we faithfully steward God's resources matters. There's a reward for, the, for those who steward well. The joy of the Master, right, as we saw, getting to share in that, maybe more responsibility, more things that God entrusts us with. But for the unfaithful, there is loss. And so, how do you grow in faithfulness? Hopefully, you all want to do that now. How do you do that? I think the passage gives us some ideas on that. The first is to grow in faithfulness, you need to start by knowing Jesus Christ, right? The true Christ, not a caricature of Christ, but Jesus as revealed in Scripture, we have two groups of people in this parable, those who seem to know the master and, and the one who doesn't. The ones who know the master, they go at once in obedience and produce. Right? They are faithful, and the one who does not know the master does not. is unfaithful. When we know the real Jesus, we understand some things. We understand that he owns everything, even our lives. Right? He purchased it with his blood on the cross. We understand that he alone is due the glory. It's not about us. It's not about us. We understand that he owes us nothing and we owe him everything. We owe him everything. And we understand, too, that he himself is always faithful. So we ought to emulate that. What other response could we have in light of that but to faithfully follow and to faithfully steward what God has given us? But to someone who doesn't know Jesus, the Christian life makes no sense, right? These are my resources. I earned this, right? They're mine. I deserve them. But we as believers, we know that we deserve death. That's what we deserve, right? It's only by the grace of God that we have anything at all. And so I can just free, freely, joyfully be faithful. It's not mine. It's his. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's the only response that makes sense, I think. Second Corinthians, Paul Paul writes this in chapter five. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So you see, if you find yourself struggling to be faithful, to surrender those things to God, start by getting to know Jesus more the true Jesus, as revealed in scripture. Ask him to work in your heart to adopt the worldview and the perspective that this parable is trying to show us. And I think the second thing we see in this parable is we need to know ourselves too, right? We need to know and have a clear understanding of the resources that God has given us if we're to use them faithfully. How do you, how do you discern that? Well, I think pray. Pray and ask God to reveal what have you entrusted Me with, So I encourage you this week, take some time to do that. Take some time to, you know, pray and and seek that from the Lord and and write down the things that God brings to mind. Here's my list. I did this week because I haven't done it in a while. You know, I have quite a few things on here. I have spheres of influence and people in my life, my family, coworkers, things like that. Quite a few of you are on this list. Um, I have different giftings I think God has given me. I have possessions, my apartment, my board game collection is on the list. How can I use that for the glory of God? Positions I have. Um, I have a miscellaneous section where, I, a section where I put, like, my body is a stewardship from God. I'm young. I'm strong. So I can help. Kind of strong. <laughs> Not as strong as others. But, right, I have more energy because of that. That's on here. Um, I have experiences that God has given me. I became a Christian in college. Like, I wasn't a Christian as a kid. Um, things like that. It's really, I think, eye-opening to to take some time to think through that. Like, what are all the things that God has given me? What are all the things that um, he can use? Incidentally, I think that list is also a great um, thing for, here are all the things I could be grateful for, too, by the way. But I think, you know, we really need to take the time to do this because some of us are are five-talent people, but we're acting like we're just one or two-talent people because we've never sat down to think about this. What has God actually given me? But I think God can reveal that and open your eyes to see all the, all the blessings he's given you and how, how can, how you can use that for his glory. I think there's others who are probably trying to do too much. You know, it's okay. If you're not a five talent person, right? God is in control of bestowing that. If you're a one talent person, that's fine. That's fine. Focus there. Be faithful there, right? Start where you are. And as, as the parable talks about, God can, can increase that and give you more if you're faithful with it again, you, you won 't be perfect in being faithful; We need the grace of God every single day, and we'll all fall flat on our face, probably every single day. But the point is, in order to be faithful, we need to understand ourselves and very clearly see the different things that God has given us and develop a heart that looks not to just use those for ourselves but to to use them for God, as this parable talks about so first. Get to know Jesus better. Second, get to know yourself better. And I think the third thing we see in this parable is we need to be faithful now. We need to be faithful now. We can't delay on this. We can't wait. And we see this really from the bigger context that surrounds this parable. Jesus teaches this parable as part of a larger discourse that he gives about the end times. And when he he prophetically describes his second coming, that's what chapter 24 in Matthew is all about. The end times, what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. This is where Jesus tells the disciples, hey, no one knows the time or the hour, right? You remember that passage. That, that's where it is in Matthew 24, right before this. And, and he warns the disciples, hey, stay awake, right? Stay, stay faithful is what he's saying. Be prepared because you don't know when I'm coming back. And then he actually goes into a set of three different parables. The one we just looked at is the second. The first one he goes over is the parable of the 10 virgins, which is all about being prepared for Jesus's return, Then we have the parable of the talents, which we just read, which is all about what is being prepared looks like, looks like, right? It's being faithful, being a good steward. And then, as I mentioned, the last thing he talks about is the sheep and the goats, right? The, the warning that, Hey, we're going to be accountable when Jesus returns. So take this seriously. Here's a little bit of what Jesus says right before going into these parables in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give excuse me, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant who, whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And then it goes on to describe the alternative. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour, he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place. And here it is again. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, faithfulness matters and it matters right now, today. The faithful one is faithful now. Understanding that the time to be faithful on earth is, is limited either by us passing, right? Our time runs out. We don't know when that will come or by Jesus returning. The time is coming when our labor on this earth will end. So Jesus sternly warns the disciples, hey, pay attention, right? Take this seriously. And that's what I think he's trying to get our attention on today as well. Faithfulness matters and it matters right now. But faithfulness doesn't just matter for your personal walk with God. Because you see, No one is called to be faithful and build the kingdom of God alone. We are called to do that together. We're on a team. And on this team, we all have a vital part to play. Every single person is needed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul refers to this team as the body of Christ. And Paul starts off that chapter, 1 Corinthians 12, by discussing spiritual gifts all the different things that he's gifted us in the church with. And he says in, in verse 7, uh, To each is given. To each is given. So no, one, no, one's on the, no one's on the bench, right? On this team in the body of Christ. And after that, through verses you know, 8 through 11 in there, he goes on to list the spiritual gifts that God gives to his church. Utterance of wisdom, knowledge, healing, prophecy, all these different things. They're talents, right? It's talents. It's the same thing that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 25. God has gifted us all these things as he wills. And then here's what Paul says, starting in verse 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. It goes on into verse 20. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. You see what verse 18 says? God chose you for this team, right? God created you especially To be part of this team. He handcrafted the role you are to play. Psalm 139, 13 says he knit you together in your mother's womb. He gave you all the abilities, your experiences, your background, all your possessions. He gifted us each, each one of us, right? Uniquely, not that we would compare ourselves, right? What does it say back? If we go back one slide in verse 14, the foot cannot compare itself to the hand. Right, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a hand, like I don't belong. Can't say that. The ear can't compare itself to the eye. They have different roles. See, God has gifted us all uniquely that we would work together to accomplish the mission that he has given us of, of making disciples, of making him known in this, in this earth. And that's the key. If, if we go forward again, there are many parts, yet one Body. Right? We're, we're diverse, we're uniquely gifted, yet we all pull together in the same direction for the glory of Christ to serve him as faithful stewards. That's the picture. And Paul goes on in First Corinthians 12 uh, to say this in verse 21 through 26. The I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body... That we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Have any of you guys taken a BuzzFeed quiz? Do you know what that is? Some of you do, some of you don't. There are these quizzes that you could take online and it's like, what pizza topping are you? And you answer some questions. My, my favorite color is red. I like summer instead of winter. Then it's like, you're pepperoni. And you're like, I am pepperoni. That makes sense. I, I imagine like us taking a Buzzfeed quiz. What part of the body are you? And everyone wants to be the best parts. I'm the heart, right? I'm the brain. I'm the biceps. Like all these like good parts of the body. Now imagine you took this BuzzFeed quiz, what part of the body you are, and you get, you are the big toe. (laughs) I think that would hurt a little bit. Like "Ah, I'm a toe. (laughs) That's an insult, right? Almost. But if you think about it, the big toe isn't something we think about a lot. Um, But without our big toes, we would not be able to balance. I'd be falling over and Matt would run up here to try to help me. He would fall over because we, we just couldn't balance without our big toe. It's a part of the body we don't think about, but is vital to the functioning of the body. And that's what Paul's trying to get us to see here. Remember what he says, the part of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What a powerful word, right? Indispensable. So if you're there sitting, sitting there thinking this morning, man, I, one talent may be generous for me. I have nothing that I, I, I can give back to God, you're, you're wrong. If you're thinking, I don't have a part to play in this, you're wrong. You're indispensable. You're vital to the functioning of the church. Right, even if your contribution goes unnoticed by others, it is noticed by God, honored by God, and we need it. We need it. And you know what? That, that's not to puff up your head and think, oh, look how great I am, right? That No. The point of that is to point you to the wisdom and to the kindness of God, the amazing plan of God. He doesn't need us. Right? He doesn't need us to accomplish his mission. He could do it all by himself. But in his grace and love, he chooses to give us each a part to play in the amazing redemptive story that he's telling through his people, through Jesus Christ, right? We're privileged to be part of this team. We are privileged to get to serve God and God has given us each a role so that we can come together as a group, as the church and work together and help each other. And I think that's a really beautiful picture of what faithfulness looks like and what God wants his church to be about. There are no small roles. All are important. No one can be on the sidelines on this team, right? We aren't here to pile up stats. There's no MVP or anything like that. Jesus is the MVP, I guess, right? We're here to serve Christ together as a unified group. That's the idea. And so as the body of Christ this morning, I encourage all of us, take faithfulness seriously. Let's take this seriously. You know, wherever you are in your walk with God, no matter how many talents you have, let's be faithful with whatever God has given us. And let's pull together to serve Christ together. That one day we may also hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So let me pray for us. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us. Uh, You didn't even have to create us, but you did.